Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Hopefully you are responding. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter, my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Easter changes everything. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. That changes everything. It changes reality in fundamental and comprehensive ways. There is literally nothing untouched by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing. It doesn't just change our hope or our perspective. It doesn't just change our relationship with God, although that is incredibly significant. It changes our relationship with creation. It changes our relationship with ourselves and one another. It changes the universal power structure. Like up until the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and particularly between the crucifixion and the resurrection, like Satan actually thought for a period of time that he'd done it. He had usurped God's sovereign authority. He had thwarted God's plan for creation. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes our eternal home and our eternal hope. It changes our temporal way of life. It changes what we do and how we do it, how we talk and the tone of our voice. It changes our, the, the basis of our joy. It changes our hearts and how we love. It changes our minds and how we think. It changes our priorities and how we live. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Easter changes everything. Starting yesterday, we are Easter people. We are Easter people. Whatever kind of person we were before that, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, In the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are now Easter people. We live as a people who, we don't invite death, but we also recognize it has no lasting power over us. The penalty of sin has been satisfied. The power of sin has been broken. You and I live today in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only with a hope that springs eternal, but with a hope that springs right now, right now in the midst of all that we experience and endure in this day. So at the resurrection of Jesus, everything changes. So let me invite you to consider today how you see and hear and think and hope and talk and live differently because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Up next, Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University is back. We are going to do our coronavirus update on this Monday morning. We're going to talk about clinical trials, treatment modalities, and some vaccines that we're hearing about that are already in clinical trials. We'll be, we'll be right back.
Dr. Zach Jenkins is back. Uh, Zach, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Happy Easter, man. Happy Easter. Right. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It is everything uh, is different in the light of the resurrection. And yet we still we still struggle in this life against um, the the consequences of the reality of sin. The coronavirus is certainly a contemporary global evidence of that. Why don't you give us today's update? Sure. Uh, so, so probably one of the bigger things that's uh, been, been uh, spoken about in the news lately is that we think we're starting to see us kind of turn the corner on the coronavirus in terms of the frequency of cases. Uh, so that that's positive news for us because it does mean that we're starting to see that the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And so when we when we talk about um, a light at the end of the tunnel, we talk about hope. We talk about um, the United States beginning to see new cases starting to level out, and that's also true in other places around the world. Um, I guess one of the, you know, immediate concerns that we might have would be the danger of returning to work or what we used to think of as regular life or normalcy, returning to that too quickly. So let's talk about, I mean, I heard uh, Governor uh, Cuomo in New York say, you know, hey, we will we will consider those things in light of public health. What When they talk about public health, I know this is Public Health Week, um, when they're talking about that, and they're talking about decisions related to reopening, you know, the economy like on a rolling basis. Um, if something is being done in light of public health, what what does that phrase mean? So the phrase really means we have to consider how many people are impacted by kind of flipping that switch. If we if we allow everyone to go back uh, to as things were at once. What ends up happening potentially is you could have a big surge of cases where people are infected. So how, how that really comes about, most of what we've been focusing on is, has been this whole social distancing concept. But the concern is, you know, what, what we're really doing is spreading out our exposure to that, that disease. And so by doing so, there's still a lot of people that haven't been exposed to the virus and developed any potential immunity yet. Um, but what we've done is we bought ourselves Time to prepare for that and to prepare our healthcare system for the caseload that we could see. However, again, if we turn the switch on, we go back to the way things were, we could get a big spike in cases all at once. And so that's the real concern there. And that's, I think, what Governor Cuomo is trying to, to really focus in on. So I know that there's a lot of, um, I mean, I, I view it as good news, something like 70 um, 70 vaccines in the works around the world, three of them already in clinical trials. Israel apparently has one that they think is going to be ready within weeks. they got a 29-year-old uh, among the first to be treated. Um, talk with us about what you're seeing. What are clinical trials? What does that mean when we talk about a vaccine? Um, what kind of timeline might we be looking at, you know, best-case scenarios? So... As far as the vaccine goes, I mean, as you mentioned, there are about 70 different ones that are being looked at right now. And from what we understand of the corona, of this particular coronavirus, it seems to mutate slowly. So that speaks uh, promisingly about the ability of a single vaccine to work as opposed to multiple vaccines. Um, so the thought would be if, if we're able to actually get one, I guess, uh, studied with, with good data to back it in a matter of weeks, most likely 
by late fall, we could probably see that vaccine because it will take some time to scale. All right. Remind us what that means. Take some time to scale. What, what remind, I mean, I know that we're supposed to be learning these phrases and, um, and these words, but you know, most of us are going to be focused today on, um, on other things. Remind us what it means when something scales. Well, there are a couple things you're going to run into, one of which is that all throughout the world, different countries have different uh, processes for approving uh, medications, vaccinations, medical devices, all those sorts of things. So there's a regulatory component that you have to be concerned about. And that those can kind of slow things down to a degree, but they're there for, for safety reasons, if you think about it. Um, the other thing that, that we'll have to run into is we'll have to, to think about how we need to produce this. And I'm not sure with the Israel vaccine, if it's a live vaccine, meaning it actually has living virus in it, or it has dead components of a virus. Um, and, and that actually impacts how quickly you can produce more of that vaccine. So we'll have to think about that manufacturing piece in addition to the regulatory piece. If I told you that it was MDA passive, would that answer your question? Not entirely. Yeah, see, I don't know either. This is what I'm telling you. It's like people report on things and then you're like, mm, I'm still kind of left in a bit of a mystery here. So, um, all right, Dr. Zach Jenkins is here from Cedarville University. We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some uh, treatment modalities. I'll admit to you, I don't exactly know that what that is, but he does. So that's what we're going to talk about next here on Mornings with Carmen. So each week, Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University is posting a really informative um, lay, I will describe it as lay level, which means I am able to understand it, um, video on YouTube sort of giving us this week's update on the coronavirus and going going more deeply into some subject matters that we might have had difficulty understanding and just reading them in the news or hearing them in sound bites. So um, this week's video talks about treatment modalities or treatment options. And so when we talk about the coronavirus, Dr. Jenkins, um, we have, you know, we've we've only heard about very limited treatments um, to this point. The only people who I know who have had the coronavirus have literally just been sent home to deal with it like the flu. Um, what what else is being used and what is being found to be um, effective? So there's been a lot of buzz about hydroxychloroquine, but there have been some other agents that have been looked at as well. Um, so one particular agent is called tocilizumab, and it's a monoclonal antibody. So basically it's like an artificial antibody that's created. And its role is actually blocking sort of that immune cascade of effects from happening. Because what we think that happens with this virus, if all these different immune processes that kind of kick into high gear, and they end up overwhelming a person, and, and that leads to a lot of problems, like really bad uh, oxygen exchange in the lungs, for example. And so the thought behind this is that you could actually mitigate some of that effect by using these agents. Um, the, the trouble is with that particular agent, there's only one study that we're aware of to date in 21 patients, and this came out of China. Um, so, so the population's small, the data is not very strong. And so, so it's much like the other therapies right now, we just don't have good data to support it. But from a mechanism perspective, how it works makes a little bit of sense. 
Okay, and and how it works is that it inhibits something, the uptake of something. Yeah, so so it actually blocks the ability uh, for a cytokine, which is like a chemical messenger, to trigger a series of immune responses. See, Zach, this is when you can tell the people that did some study of science in college and those who did not. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> right? Like, I, I mean, I will admit to you, we've arrived at the place in our coronavirus conversation that um, that I will just admit to you, like, I just recognize that my own um, uh, understanding of science and my uh, the attention that I have paid to it over time has been grossly insufficient to this to this current period of time in which we're living well i i can relate there's a lot of things that are going on uh, politically with managing the virus too or i'm like well i'm definitely not a political science major <laughs> <laughs> right so i i really i do appreciate your patience with me um when i ask questions that i know for you are so pedantic but for um for myself and maybe others who are listening, it's really helpful. Okay, can I ask you, it's a related question, but it might seem a little off the wall. We um, we have a, a whole lot of listeners in, um, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Smithfield just closed a major pork uh, plant there and laid off, obviously, all the employees. 239 of the employees in that one plant have already tested positive for the coronavirus. And so, um, you know, we talk about a setting where, Lots of people may um, may be seen to have this. Um, let's talk a little bit about the protections in our food um, system here in the United States. And is the coronavirus something that I could get if I were to eat something that were, you know, potentially produced by a person or handled by a person who had the coronavirus? That's, that's a very good question. Um, So the short of it is this, we have not necessarily seen outside of this case in a zoo of a tiger contracting the coronavirus. We haven't really seen another case of human to animal transition that I'm aware of, or transition that I'm aware of. Um, The the concern though is if you look at where we think this originated, in China they have a lot of these wet markets where they have live animals that they end up uh, basically processing right there on the street for people to take home as food. And so they, they think this came from a bat originally. Um, so, so the possibility for that to have crossed into humans originally may mean it can go backwards as well. But we don't know entirely for sure yet, again, other than that one case in a tiger in a zoo that we're aware of. But from a public health perspective, what happens is they do something called contact tracing. So if they end up seeing that an animal or let's say pork is, is a carrier for this virus, they, they try to, to look at that root cause, and they'll work backwards, and then they'll track distribution of all those things. And, and when we think about uh, outbreaks in the U.S., most of what we hear about are foodborne outbreaks, like with E. coli. Um, like the classic case is Chipotle with E. coli or Jack in the Box with E. coli is what, what you probably have heard about. Um, but they, they, they figure out who's tra- like where it's being transmitted from and all people that could have actually been exposed to that, and they try to shut it down from that standpoint. Um, in all likelihood, I'd say that most people exposed to the pork are probably okay based on what we understand, but we don't know everything for sure. 
So when we talk about um, food safety, I think this is probably going to be a rising concern for people. And we want to be very, very clear here. Um, we don't have any any concerns whatsoever. Smithfield is uh, is doing everything. They're doing their due diligence. I don't want to scare anybody off of, uh, off of eating anything. I want to have a conversation about general food safety. So um, I'm washing my produce thoroughly when I bring it into my house. I'm throwing away all the packaging. I'm being sure that I cook everything um, to temperature. I'm washing my hands frequently. When we talk about food safety and the handling of food, there's a lot of people putting a lot of trust right now in in how food is being handled in you know in the back of a restaurant and then through a delivery system to their to their home or at least to their vehicle. Um, there's a lot of trust being placed in the way food is being handled in America. And so, could you just address some food safety, basic food safety, um, in terms of the you know. What can I do most effectively to protect myself and my family? Well, the, the simple answer from the standpoint of the grocery store is, is doing exactly what you've described. So taking things and trying to wipe them down if they're in a box or you know, wash them with soap and water if it's produce or, or, or something like that. Um, but from a delivery standpoint, you raise a good question. I think it depends on your, your uh, level of trust with whoever it is that's serving me food. And I, I will say most companies have really ramped up what they're doing uh, in response to the coronavirus for, with their employees. So they're having them change gloves, like, all the time as, as they're making meals and things like that. But I can't say that's true across the board. So you're probably safer with some of your larger chains than your smaller institutions. I could be wrong when I say that. Um, but it's something to kind of keep in mind. Um, and then finally, government food distribution, I know, is um, they are really they are really pressing in the community where I live. I live in a rural community and the food distribution going on, um, particularly at a couple of public schools. They're using those as outlets for food distribution and then food redistribution through um, um, third party, uh, like, let's say, food banks. Um, any any thoughts there in terms of am I treating those things that I'm receiving in, in pretty much the same way as the grocery store, correct? I'm wiping it down. I'm washing it. I'm, I have no idea how many hands have handled it nor who those hands, you know, whether or not those hands were clean. That, that's correct. I think it would be wise to make sure that, you know, things coming from a food bank or any kind of a food donation service would be it would be wise to treat them appropriately but the same way that you would do things that you take home from the grocery store. I, I do know for a fact that a lot of the, the food banks, they actually have people wearing masks, wearing gloves, um, but you don't know with 100% certainty that that's true across the board. So let me just encourage folks, if you are looking to get out and do something good, um, I know that in my community, the food distribution folks could use some help. Um, that's probably true where you live as well. Uh, it is an opportunity to get out there and do some good. Um, obviously, you know, do so in a way that's safe. Wear your gloves, wear your mask, um, wash your clothes when you get home, all of those good things. Um, but it is a way to um, help our neighbors in this time of need in terms of making sure that people have what they need in terms of daily sustenance. Um, Dr. Jenkins, thank you so much again for helping us understand what is happening and bringing us updates each and every week. Um, we look forward to this week's video. We will find it at youtube.com. We're going to search for Cedarville. Um, you can search for Zach Jenkins. You can follow him on Twitter. Um, hey, thank you so much, Zach, uh, as always, for joining us. Absolutely. Have a great day. Thanks. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back. 
The coronavirus is now affecting uh, more countries around the world than really uh, anybody can keep track of or count. We've all heard about Samaritan's Purse response and the building of a hospital in Central Park in New York City. But are you also aware of how they are responding around the globe? I've got Franklin Graham up next. He is going to talk about Samaritan's Purse response, not only here in the United States, but around the world that God so loves. We'll be right back. I grew up in a day when rules were strict, beds were made, and lectures were delivered. And ignoring the rules wasn't an option. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Whether or not your home was like mine, you're probably well aware. It's not like that anymore. These days, lecturing doesn't snap a kid back in line. It simply causes him to shut down. I've found that constant advice on how to do things right or better only serves to create distance. In fact, mom and dad, when all you do is lecture, your teen will begin to see you as judgmental. And of course, that's not what you're trying to communicate. So learn new ways of engaging. Cut the lecture, start the conversation. There's more from Mark Gregston on Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come away, come away, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen. My guess is that you are familiar with the ministry of Samaritan's Purse. I'm certain you are familiar with the ministry of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. This radio ministry here at the Faith Radio Network was actually started by Billy Graham when he was the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. We still broadcast from the University of Northwestern St. Paul. We are a part of the Northwestern Media Group, uh, and here at Faith Radio, we are proud to um, to stand on the shoulders of, of a giant of the faith known as Billy Graham. Um, his son, Franklin Graham, heads up not only the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, but also uh, a relief organization called Samaritan's Purse. Samaritan's Purse has been actively airlifting uh, medical supplies around the globe and being on the ground where people are most in need in places um, that you and I would, in many cases, be afraid to go. But fear empowers uh, the Christian in ways that recognizes that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything, influences everyone, and that we are extensions of his grace and mercy to others. Uh, Paul, are we ready to go? We are, I think, still uh, waiting to connect with uh, with Dr. Graham this morning. So um, you may have heard uh, him yesterday talking on uh, a Fox News event yesterday morning, preaching on Easter, encouraging each and every one of us um, to do our part, recognizing that our churches are not shut down. Um, uh, Dr. Graham was recognizing yesterday that more people were actually attending services online um, than ever have in, in terms of meeting in person and is calling each and every one of us to continue to be the church in the midst of all that is going on. Samaritan's Purse is not only deployed here in the United States of America, which is a new, and we're going to talk about that, um, but they're deployed around the globe, and we're going to talk about that as well. If you're not familiar with the ministry of Samaritan's Purse, I want you to check it out at samaritanspurse.org. My guess is you have at least seen... um, the uh, the Christmas shoeboxes uh, that has been a part of the way that Samaritan's Purse um, through Operation Christmas Child 
has been delivering year-round hope, uh, not just uh, not just at Christmas, but around the globe all year long. Uh, Dr. Franklin Graham, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. It's a real pleasure to talk with you this morning, sir. Um, first of all, I just want to thank you on behalf of not only a grateful nation, but um, a, a grateful um, uh, heavenly citizenry. You you make the gospel um, substantial and beautiful in in places and in ways that many other people do not. So I just want to just start off by saying thank you, uh, not only for what you are doing, but the way in which you are doing it. Well, well thank you, Carmen. And um, if anything good is done, we, we give it give God the glory. So it all comes from Him. Amen. Um, many people listening are going to be extremely familiar with what you're doing in Central Park, and I want to talk about that. But first, I would just love to give you the opportunity to talk about what Samaritan's Purse is doing around the globe. You guys have sent healthcare professionals to places where nobody else is going to help. Well, uh, Carmen, a big uh, program that we're doing right now is in Italy. We have, um, like in Central Park, we have a 68-bed field hospital. Uh, this is up to the northern part of the country. Uh, Cremona is the name of the town. It's about 50 miles to the south and east of uh, Milan. And this is kind of the epicenter for the uh, uh, coronavirus in Europe. Uh, and part of the reason for that was there were a lot of Chinese laborers there helping the Italians put in a railway. And uh, they had direct flights every day from to Wuhan. And, and so this is one of the reasons you have the coronavirus uh, uh, located in this area. But uh, the Italians were just overwhelmed, and uh, that's why we went in to help them. And uh, we've been well-received. Uh, they have given us uh, complete permission to preach the gospel. Uh, there's, there's no hindrance uh, whatsoever from the Italian government. They're just glad we're there. Most of our other programs around the world are somewhat on hold because of the coronavirus. We can't uh, move across borders. Uh, there's a lot of the stay-at-home orders like we see here in parts of this country are it globally. And so we just, um, the whole world, I've never seen anything like this, Carmen, the whole world is gripped with fear over this, uh, what they call this pandemic. And uh, it is dangerous. Uh, it can kill you. Uh, and so people need to be careful. But I don't think we need to live in fear. And that's, that's what we're seeing. Uh, and fear just grips people's hearts. And it, it's just opening up, Carmen, an opportunity for the gospel. Uh, people are wanting to know. People are asking questions. You know, why did God allow? You know, a lot of people blame God on things like this. Why did God allow it? Uh, you know, or is He mad at us? Those kinds of things. So it's just a, a great opportunity to present uh, the truth of the gospel to people. And so, um, uh, right now, of course, in Central Park, we've got a, a large hospital, and it's uh, going um, again, 68 beds. But we're working with Mount Sinai, which is one of the large health care providers in the city, and uh, they have welcomed us. Uh, it's interesting that, um, uh, you know, people will come by and bring us food. Uh, I don't think, well, this is, a, I think all of our people are gaining weight. Uh, they, they, they bring <laughs> incredible meals and uh, snacks and pastries, and they just drop this off all day long at our hospital, just, uh, just New Yorkers just giving out of, uh, you know, out of what they can to, to support us. So we're very grateful for that. But all of this, Carmen, is just a great opportunity 
to tell a suffering world, a world that is afraid, a world that's afraid of death, uh, about the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, I heard um, your message yesterday. I want to give you an opportunity to just declare the living hope um, because it, it yesterday, you know, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ literally changes everything. So I just want to give you the opportunity to share with our audience today. Um, your dad started this ministry at the University of Northwestern. He's the one who put this radio yep. station on the air. Um, I want to give you an opportunity just to share with our audience the living hope. Well, maybe you're listening this morning and you're one of those that's afraid. And uh, you're not sure what to do or, or, or where to go even, or which way to turn. We know that God loves us and he cares for us. And the Bible tells us in John 3:16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. And that this one verse kind of sums up the whole gospel, that God loves us, he cares for us, but we have a problem, and that problem is sin. And our, and our sins separate us from God, and all of us are guilty of sin, and the penalty of that is death. But God loved us so much that he brought his son to this earth on a rescue mission to take our sins, and he died on the cross and shed his blood for our sins. And God buried him, and on the third day he was raised. Uh, God raised his son to life. Jesus Christ is not dead. He's alive. And if we're willing to put our faith and trust in him, uh, God will forgive our sins, and we we can have that assurance that we will have a right standing before Him one day uh, when we when when this life is over, and and all of us are going to die at some point. But when this when that time comes, we can have that assurance that God will receive us and welcome us into heaven. Not because we're good people, we're not. We're sinners, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And if we're willing to repent, turn from our sins, and by faith. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, Carmen. And that's it's just as simple as that. That's what it is. But it comes by faith. Grace, faith cometh by God's grace. And uh, and if we just simply believe and just trust in Him, uh, God will forgive us and cleanse us. And so, God's done all the work. We just have to accept it by faith. I'm going to return in just a moment. That is the voice of Franklin Graham you're hearing. I know it's delighting your heart and your soul. Um, we are going to return to this conversation in just a moment. We'll be right back. You may be familiar with some of the ministries of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. You may have seen Samaritan's Purse deployed in places around the globe. You're now seeing them deployed not only in Central Park, but in um, in places that are uh, that are struck with other sorts of um, natural disasters um, and and frankly disasters that we bring upon ourselves. Uh, there are there are groups of people from BGEA and Samaritan's Purse who enter into communities across the country and around the world um, when when we literally are at a place where we can't help ourselves. Just a few weeks ago here in Nashville, where I live, um, I encountered Samaritan's Purse volunteers in the communities um, struck by tornadoes. I expect they'll be being deployed even today to Chattanooga um, and to uh, into places in Georgia where there were tornadoes overnight. I have with me Franklin Graham. He heads up both the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Samaritan's Purse. Um, again, Dr. Graham, thank you so much for being with us on Mornings with Carmen. 
Well, thank you, Carmen. Talk with us about sort of how it works. So, you know, last night there were these devastating, um, deadly tornadoes uh, in the southeastern United States. What happens today at some, or maybe what happened last night? How how does the ball get rolling um, when Samaritan's Purse responds to a disaster? Well, uh, first of all, uh, Monroe, Louisiana, was hit yesterday. So mm. we've got uh, we've got a truck going to Monroe today, and uh, some uh, people who will go in and do an assessment. Uh, and that truck's coming out of Texas. The storms that happened last night will have people on the ground later today assessing the damage uh, in those areas. And uh, depending on the severity of the damage, uh, depends on whether we'll deploy um, volunteers and uh, uh, team managers to go in. So uh, we're always following storms. So we have people that, I mean, that's just what they do. They track it mm. and they track where the tornadoes touch down and and then we we have to put eyes on the ground to actually assess it, because uh, sometimes uh, it looks worse than it is, and sometimes it's much worse than what you see on television. So you have to have people on the ground who can assess it. And what we do is we we, we put the call out for volunteers, and then um, we uh, usually get a church in a community who will be a host church for us, where we can set up our trucks in their parking lot, use their restrooms, uh, that sort of thing, and uh, we'll take uh, – Sometimes a food truck or a shower trailer, depending on how long we're going to be there, so that our volunteers can clean up. And um, then we go out into a community, and we will take work orders from people that would like to have someone to come and help them look for things, clean off their lot, uh, put tarps back on their roof, try to dry it in if they can. So um, if they give us a work order, then then we'll send a team of volunteers to come help them. And it's a... It's, it takes uh, several days uh, to get yourself up and running, but usually in two to three days we can do that. Uh, and then uh, we're there, and we'll stay in the community until all the work orders are done. And then uh, then we'll we'll move on to another city. But right now I know we're, we're moving to Monroe, and I, I'm not too sure about uh, last night. I haven't got my, my report in this morning from our guys, but they'll probably give that to me around uh, 830. Hmm. You know, every single day, um, Franklin, it occurs to me that, you know, there are just people in, in desperate need around the world in so many places. Um, you have been in many uh, in many communities around the world in, in homes that would not look anything like a home that people who are listening to us right now are living in. Um, talk about the heart of Christ for the most desperate people in the world. Well, first of all, uh, even the poor of our country uh, live at a much higher standard than the poor of most of the world. Um, The slums that you have in South America and Africa and Asia, uh, where millions upon millions of people live in squalor, uh, we have to remember that our Lord Jesus Christ was poor. Uh, he said he didn't even have a place to lay his head. You know, foxes have their holes and birds have their nests, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. So Jesus understands uh, poverty. Uh, he came from a very simple means, uh, the son of a carpenter. Um, I mean, grew up in the uh, carpenter's home. He's the son of God, but he grew up in a carpenter's home. And so he, he understands poverty and uh, to be without. But 
I find the, the poor of this world are usually the ones that are rich in faith. And the, the most affluent people in this country and other countries around the world are the ones that are very difficult to reach with the gospel. Um, they have looked to the things of this world uh, to meet their needs, and uh, they don't look to God. So it's it's very difficult sometimes um, at the richer countries, but the, the poor countries, they understand God. And... Um, and I find uh, a, a very, very strong faith in some of these uh, poor areas of the world. In my own experience, I, I don't think that I've ever been um, as, as spiritually blessed as having an African orphan pray for me. Right? Mm, I mean, yeah. it's, yeah, right? Because you just, somehow the, your course. sense is that God is, um, God is hearing and honoring those prayers in special ways. No question. And um, the, the, the I've been touched uh, by, the, by the people of this world who have some of the least to give materially, but they have the most to give spiritually. Can we pray for you, Dr. Graham? Absolutely. Father, I lift up my brother Franklin to you. I lift up the extraordinary ministries that you have uh, placed under his shepherding influence. We ask, Father, that you would um, give them every resource that's necessary today for the accomplishing of your will in and through them, that you would strengthen their bodies, that you would protect and guard their hearts and minds, that you would multiply their influence, that, Father, the gospel would go forth through the ministries of BGEA and Samaritan's Purse in ways that Franklin and his team members can't even yet imagine. Father, we acknowledge that there are people in great pain, but we also know that the gospel is real. And so is the healing help and mercy that you send through the hands and the help of your people. And so, Father, multiply the influence today. Bless Franklin and his family and those with whom he labors um, in your, to your glory, in your effort. Um, and all these things, we, we, we speak to you um, and plead to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Carmen. Thank you, Franklin. And, uh, I just, uh, there, 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 there just isn't thanks enough. I know that my, uh, everyone listening right now is echoing this. They're just saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, we give God the glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. We'll thank be right you. back. Bye-bye. Easter really does change everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead uh, really does change everything. And so I just invite you to consider that concern, that area of life or area of um, maybe within your family where you just desire for there to be something different, for something to change, for something to give, for something to break free. And then take it not just to the cross, but take it to the empty tomb. I think sometimes we recognize that our sin is born by Christ upon the cross, but we forget that it's the power of the empty tomb that actually changes uh, those realities you know, in terms of our here and now living of these days. And so that thing that you really want to see change today, to see radically transformed by the power of the gospel, take it to the cross. Yes, absolutely. Submit it to Christ and his lordship, but also take it to the empty tomb and recognize the radical power of God 
to even bring forth life from death. If you feel like something is dead in your life right now, it can live again. Your marriage can live again. Um, You may be suffering with the darkness of depression right now. There is light. There is life. There is hope. And his name is Jesus. And he rose from the dead. And that power of resurrection can be applied even in the darkest moment of depression. Nothing um, is beyond the reach of the gospel. Nothing is beyond the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing and no one. No place, no space, no circumstance of life. And even death itself is transformed by the gospel. So we're going to die. I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that death is a reality that we will all face, but we face it in an utterly different way because of not only the cross, but the empty tomb. And so as you face this day, face it with the glory of the risen Lord, recognizing that Easter changes everything. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.